what our culture is defined by. And so we want to continue to remind ourselves what is before us. Uh, anybody know what a standard is in military terms? It's a flag on a pole. And what's the purpose of that standard? It's a unity to show you where to be, to show you what to do, right? And so unity is one of our standards. And it's just a call to remember where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. Anyways, I hope that you had a good snow day or two last week. Anybody have fun with that? There's the, the little kid inside of me is like, snow day! All right! I just think it's so fun still. Um, I don't watch reruns anymore. I do other things, but I'm really thankful for them nonetheless. All right, so we are, like I was saying, we're in this uh, season where we're focusing on surrender. Uh, I have a friend who is an author, and she writes on her blog, it never says to surrender to God in the Bible, but it does say to yield. And so surrendering is a concept. And the reason she says that is because surrender is something you do to someone who is your enemy, who's going to conquer you, right? You don't surrender to a friend in the same way. Surrender is a military term. And yet at the same time, we do surrender in lots of ways, right? Like I go through the drive-thru and I surrender my money to them to get the food that I ordered, right? And, 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 and my wife says my name and asks me to do something, and so I surrender my time to her time and desire for me, right? So there's lots of little surrenders, if you will. So surrender is a bigger, bigger concept than just that. Well, I, I want to say personally, I have found these last few weeks very refreshing. Remember the week one, the last point was that surrender is the start or maybe the catalyst of personal revival. And uh, I've been experiencing that. I've been experiencing the closeness of God as I yield my heart to him every day. I've been experiencing his comfort and his power and his love more and more. Anybody else there in this season? Praise God for that. I'm glad. And I want you to know that if you're not experiencing that, uh, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have that in store for you or that he's not near to you. But I know that surrender produces uh, that fruit of that closeness with God. In James, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But then what's the, co the connection to God? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, right? And that starts with that place of surrender where, where we're willing to let go of what we think and what we desire and what we're pursuing to pursue God and to pursue God only. Uh, so today we're going to continue to talk about surrender and uh, we're going to do so by talking about surrendering uh, our desires to find hope. Uh, what are some of the things, moments in your life where you've experienced great hope? It's a real question. It's okay for you to answer. I know that there's a stage and you're in seats. There's lights here. And the, but well, let's talk a little bit. When you're up against a challenge. Yeah, when you're up against a challenge. So there's like a hope that rises in you in the face. That's awesome. Uh, that's great. I, I love that. Expecting a baby, especially when you don't have to do the work, right? Aren't grandbabies the best? That's the best way to have a baby, is to have somebody else do it so you can enjoy it. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, in back there. Okay, hope and the compelling urge to start going to church again this morning. Okay, great. Any other times where you've experienced hope, Doug? Oh, man. Amen. Yeah, the power of hearing a testimony from somebody else, sharing their hope in Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, that ignites hope. Yep, yep. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny because each of us, we know hope. We are made for hope. Uh, hope is talked about as a necessary ingredient for life. Hope is like oxygen. 
Hope is like food. Without it, you feel like you're gonna die. Uh, When we're little, our hopes are really little. I remember the hope of an empty cereal bowl and a box full of cinnamon toast crunch. Do you remember those hopes? Those little hopes. I remember the hope of Christmas Eve. I remember the hope of recess. Remember the hope of recess? You're looking at the clock. Why? Because your blessed hour is about to come where it's your time and not her time, right? Even if you liked her, it was different to be outside. Or him, maybe you had a guy teacher. That's like 3% of them. So you know hope. We all know hope. In fact, just talking about it, can you just feel? It just feels good. It just feels good to think about hope and talk about hopeful things. But then we also know hope that didn't happen that didn't come to fruition. We know letdown, and we know pain, and we know disappointment, don't we? It's ironic that we love to talk about hope, but we have a hard time talking about pain and disappointment. And yet both are a part of life, and both, both can be good. Did you know that? That both of those things can be good. Well, today we're going to talk about both hope and disappointment and what God wants to do with those things. So let's take a moment and ask him to work in our midst. Father, thank you so much for this church family that you're gathering together. Lord, you delight in them, and you've poured just a little bit of that delight in me. Father, as we come on Sundays and gather, I have hope because their faith and their faithfulness encourages me. Father, would this time together not be just about us, But especially, Father, would it be about you? Would you be working in our midst? Teach us, grow us, transform us, Father. Lord, we're willing to repent and yield and submit. So we ask that you would work in our midst and grow a greater hope in us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of scripture verses to think about and meditate on as we talk about hope. Psalm 121 is a psalm of hope. It's a song that calls us to worship. It says, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from Verizon. No. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. In 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, with your minds ready for action. Be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. Amen. So like I said, we're talking about surrender. Today, what God wants you to do is he wants you to learn to identify lesser hopes, to let go of them, and to grab onto greater hopes. As I prayed for our time today, an experience came to mind that I've had several times uh, as a youth and then a youth leader. Uh, I love taking youth and any adult who's willing to go uh, to high ropes courses. Has anybody gone on a high ropes course? 
So a high ropes course is where the sane people are left behind and only the insane remain because everything you do is at least 15 feet off the ground and you are guaranteed to fall and to wonder if you're going to die. And you're guaranteed to push your boundaries and to get past some things maybe that have been holding you back. It's often a place of breakthrough, especially, in my opinion, when people of faith are walking by faith as they do these things because it pulls us out of our comfort zone into a place where we have to trust God. Now, one of my favorite things is this thing called the multivine. And that sounds weird. It sounds like something that you can get at the candy store, right? There's the red vines, and then there's the multivines, where there's more than just the red flavor, which is where I would park, because those red ones... Anyways, if you like them, that's good. You can have all of mine. So the multivine is this crazy thing where there's two telephone poles about 50 feet apart, and then strung between the two telephone poles are two cables that are about one inch thick. And then suspended on the cables are a few ropes of various lengths. And what's crazy is these people, they have somebody go up on each side of the multivine. And the goal is not just to cross the multivine, but to cross together at the same time. Now they know that humans need some help psychologically to get over their fears. And so they're really good. They put the first vine for you to hang on just within reach of everybody. It's crazy. Six foot four, I can barely reach it. Five foot four, they can barely reach it. I wonder if it's closer than we think. You know, sometimes hope is genuinely closer than we think, right? And so you reach out and you grab that first rope and you're like, I'm going to be okay. And so you start to walk out on the multivine and you stretch out that rope and then you realize that the next rope is impossibly out of reach. No matter how far you go, you're never going to reach that one. In fact, if you get that far, you're probably just going to fall because you've lost your center of balance. And so you have to let go of the lesser vine to reach the greater one. Every time that second vine is longer, and every time the third vine is longer than that, and every time you have to let go of what was there before to grab out to something greater. Now what's really crazy is everybody always meets in the middle, and in the middle, everybody has to let go of everything and just walk by faith in that place and cross together. And what's cool is I've seen people go from Don Knotts to Rambo as they realize the greatness of hope and having faith. It's really powerful. But the truth is, is that we all have hope that we hang on to. Things that we let make us feel okay in the midst of life day to day. And I'm going to be honest. Some of those things are perfectly neutral. They're not in themselves harmful. But nonetheless, they can be barriers between us and trusting God. Because we place trust in the things that we hope in. We put faith in the things that we hope in. And the more we have these little things that make life stable and filled with goodness, the more often God feels more and more distant because we're not ultimately hoping in Him. Well, let's get on the same page. First of all, uh, let's recognize that we were all made for hope. You need to have hope, uh, and we need to understand what hope is. So here's what hope is. Hope, in terms of a verb, is to desire something to happen or to be true. Hope is to desire something to happen or to be true. So we do this. We hope. We live this verb out a lot. Notice that it, it isn't necessarily just something to happen. It's, it's this idea that something might be true, that it's okay. Have you met people who hope in things that you know aren't true? 
Have you met people, they've got these ideas that they think about and they keep talking about them and it's, it's clear that they have hope, but it's like a diluted hope where they've convinced themselves that something's true that's not. That's a dangerous place to be. And we've all been there before, I think. And then hope is also a noun, which is something that we can kind of hold on to. It's an object or a thing. It's something good that you desire to happen in the future. Something good that you desire to happen in the future. So with that definition in mind, we all have hope today, right? I hope, I hope we all have hope today. Some good that we're hoping to desire to happen in the future. But the reality is that sadly, the hope with which once built us up lets us down. We talked about that a moment ago, that moment of let down and that difficulty. You know, the scriptures say in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. They pour forth their speech to everyone who listens. The word of God speaks to us clearly, thankfully in our own language, thanks to the wonderful translators who've worked on them. C.S. Lewis says that in all of these things, Pain is actually the clearest thing that speaks to us about God. He says that God shouts to us in our pain. He says that pain is God's megaphone. So sadly, there is difficulty. There's pain, and we lose the hope that we had. But because God is shouting us to us in pain, we can change that first word. Instead of sadly, we can say thankfully. Thankfully, the hope which once built us up lets us down. You know, it's actually a good thing when you discover the thing that you've been hoping in actually was not worthy to be an object of hope. It is important to recognize that because if we don't recognize that, we will have hope in the wrong thing. We will be relying on something that is unreliable. There's this author, Christian author, his name's Larry Crabb. Anybody familiar with Larry Crabb? Larry Crabb wrote, when I first read it, what I thought to be the worst marriage book I have ever read as somebody who counsels people who need help in their marriages. It's called The Marriage Builder. It was not a very helpful or hopeful book. Within the first three chapters, he basically said, listen, your spouse is terrible. You can't rely on them. If it's up to them, your marriage is sunk. If it's up to you, your marriage is over. You have a problem because you've been relying on your spouse. You thought that they were going to be everything to you. You thought that they were the source of your hope and the best part of your life. And now you've discovered that, sadly, they're the worst part of your life some days. And for some of you, they're the worst part of your life every day. And he said, the reason this is is because you don't know what real hope is. You're not hoping in Jesus. You've been hanging all the weight of your hopes on this human being who was never able to sustain those hopes. And you need to detach those weights from them, and you need to hang those weights on Jesus. And that's when I realized that it was the best marriage book that I'd ever read. See, he was willing to thankfully tell me, and anybody else who's willing to read, that their hope can't be in their spouse, or their boss, or their bank account, or the internet, or the government, or anything else. Because all of those things will fail. Instead, you need a greater source of hope. A hope that is reliable all the time, that never lets you down. A hope that will sustain you, not just now, but when everything is gone, when everything is defeating you, even when death comes. A hope that is greater than death. Amen? So it's good when these lesser hopes let us down. 
It's a good thing when these lesser hopes bring us to this place of pain because in that place of pain, we can grab on to a greater hope. You need a greater hope, one that will not end in disappointment. The name of this greater hope is Jesus. Hope has a name. The name of hope is Jesus. And most of you know that, and that's why you're here. And yet, we need to remind ourselves of that because the truth is, is that somehow these lesser hopes are always so tempting. They're always right there. They're always so comforting. They feel like they give us power and security. They feel like they give us significance. I want you to think back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve fell prey to temptation. The first humans who sinned, who grabbed onto a lesser hope. Remember what it said? It said that Eve, seeing that the food, the fruit was pleasing to the eye and good to eat, she took a bite of it. Temptation is powerful. Don't raise your hand. But have you felt the power of temptation? Have you felt the lure of that false hope that you want to grab onto and hold onto? Man, me too. Me too. You know, I used to work with uh, adolescents in an inpatient setting, and a lot of them had a supreme amount of dysfunctions in their life. And, and one of them that I met had this peculiar dysfunction. His hope was in Pepsi-Cola. Have you ever had your hope in something like Pepsi-Cola? What's crazy is that this young man didn't know any better, and so he lived his hope so boldly that it looked insane. If he was having a bad day, he'd just say, you know, you know I could just use a nice cold Pepsi-Cola, Chris. You know that moment when you just have that bottle of Pepsi there, and you just hold it up to your head, and it goes, yeah, I need that. It's a bad day. Have you ever felt that moment inside where it's a bad day, where it's dark inside or it's dark outside and you need peace and you need comfort and you need hope and something in you has said, you know what I need? I need a cigarette, a drive to the beach, a Bud Light. Well, not a Bud Light now because you're a conservative. A Miller, I don't know. What do you drink now? I've not been down that aisle for a while. A microbrew, probably. I need a, a, good, a good TV show. A chocolate bar. I need to call my friend and let her know and hear her news, too. We have all sorts of lesser hopes that we grab onto in the midst of our disappointment. And let me tell you, when I said that and you knew what that hope is, you found the first lesser hope that Jesus wants to teach you to let go of. It might not be that he removes that from your life completely. He's not going to take your spouse away, I think. He's going to work to build your heart to a place where you have greater hope. And that brings us to 1 Peter. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Finding complete hope in Christ requires a mind that is ready for action. Does anybody have a more wooden translation with them today? It doesn't say ready for action. What does it say in the King James or the New King James or the ESV or the NASB? Anybody have that with them today? Gird up the loins of your mind. Did you know your mind had loins? Do you even know what loins are? 
It's not the thing in the butcher's aisle, the pork loin or the tenderloin. That's what gives you the filet mignon. It's, it's the, really the tenderest part, but on you, your loins are right here, right? They're, the, they're your core. They're your stability. They're your strength, right? Anybody else flexing their core right now? You're feeling that. Hoo-ah, right? So flex the strength of your mind. Uh, they used to wear robes everywhere, right? Or tunics. And so if they were going to get ready for action, they had to gird them up, right? They had to get them going. Uh, young men today, sometimes their pants sit below the line of this zone. And when you see them run, I used to be one of them, what did they have to do? Hike them up, man. Get those pants ready for action. It's time to get moving. You got to run, son. You need your legs free. You need to be able to move and get to business. You've got to be ready for action if you're going to have hope. You need to have your mind ready for action. Is your mind ready for action? You know, sadly, my mind is often lazy. My mind sometimes looks a whole lot more like uh, Homer Simpson than it does Usain Bolt. It's ready to eat the forbidden donut and to be laughed at. Not ready to run where it needs to run and go where it needs to go. There's a lot of hindrances to a mind ready for action. We live in the most distracted age ever. How many of you carry your daily idol with you like I do? You got this guy in your pocket right now? Man, this can be a tool, right? But it can also be a problem. It can also pull us away from having a mind that's ready for action because I have a mind that's actually ready for distraction. That's a different form of action, isn't it? It's a mind that's pulled into the dead ends of life. And some of them are super innocent like kitten videos, but, but some of them are super destructive like death scrolling on Facebook and, or doom scrolling, that's what they call it, where you're just stuck and you, you want to escape, but you're just stuck looking at the things going on there. We need to discipline our minds to be ready for action, to take action. You know, my kids, if the TV is on, nothing else is on in their brain. Have you noticed that about kids? Have you noticed that about adults too, though? The, the other day, uh, one of us said something like, boys, come on, let's do this thing, and the TV was on, which meant that their minds were not ready for action, right? And so we had to interrupt the television. We had to, to bring a word from their sponsors, mom and dad. Uh, this life is brought to you by me, and you need to do the things I'm calling you to do right now, right? And, and so it was time to do the laundry. And so the TV got paused, and then there was you know, the great celebration that comes when you pause the electronics. This happens in your household too, right? There's much rejoicing in that moment. And we got through that celebration, and then we got to work. And, and then after we were done, I said, you know what, guys? I think we need to have some drills where the TV stays on, and we focus on something else for like 30 seconds, because your mind is not ready for action anytime that thing is on, and you need to be ready for action. I'm pretty sure the couch could be on fire, and my kids would be mad at the inconvenience. Oh, stop it! Stop it! I'm watching, I'm watching YouTube! So often, we're like that, right? We're so distracted, we're so devoted to the things around us that we're not ready to respond to Jesus. But man, wouldn't it be awesome if our minds were ready for action? What would it take for your mind to be ready for action? You know, I have found personally that my own devotion and prayer life is a great source of uh, training and discipline for being ready for action. When I have a pattern of faithfully waking up in the morning, opening the pages of God's Word, 
engaging with the Holy Spirit, yielding myself to Him, and seeking Him first, my mind is more ready for action that day. I have put away the distractions of life, and I have grabbed a hold of the greatest hope. But then I find sometimes that that focus wanes, and by lunchtime, I'm ready for some different action, some food, and my body is crying out, and and it needs sustenance. But in that moment, if I can weave in some of that interaction with the Lord, a prayer of thanksgiving and gratitude, blessing God's name for His goodness, and a reminder over my body that you are not what sustains me. He is the one who sustains me. I continue to be ready for action. You have to choose a course for your day that puts you in a place where you are ready for action. It is a choice that you have to make, and it's a choice that you can make. And you know what's amazing is when you decide to be ready for action, the Holy Spirit is right there backing you up, strengthening you. He's flexing the loins of His mind towards you. You are His priority, and He wants to strengthen you with His might so that you can be strong and courageous in Him. Next, finding complete hope in Christ requires being sober-minded. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Isn't that interesting? I find that an interesting translation. They, they didn't go gird up your loins. They did be ready for action. But then they grabbed a hold of be sober-minded. That's really what it is. Have a mind that is awake. What is it like when somebody isn't sober? Have you hung around with many not sober people? Yeah, foggy, slurred, Sidian. Dull, yeah. They think they're pretty sharp sometimes, though. Let me tell you something, brother. You got it figured out. You listen to old Chris here. You've been in those conversations. You've been thinking, man, I've seen pencils that are unsharpened that are better than you right now, right? Yeah, so they're dull, they're foggy, they can be conceited, they can be puffed up with themselves, or they can be you know, desolated. Life is terrible in that moment. They're not being driven by themselves, are they? They're being driven by something else. That's what we're talking about, being driven by something else. This is not a dare commercial. This is not just saying don't do drugs. By the way, don't do drugs, okay? We'll just get, don't, they'd make you dull, all right? Don't do drugs. Uh, but this is beyond that. What other things can cause us to lack a sober mind? Distractions. Distractions, that's right. Your mind is just bouncing around. I've had those days where I just bounce from thing to thing to thing where there's hardly a moment to think and get centered and I'm not sober-minded by the end of that day. I am reeling from the busyness. I, w- I walk in the door and my wife's like, what's going on with you, right? Because I'm like a, a squirrel with a rocket on its back. Not a sober mind in that moment. I have to settle down. What else? Say it again. Worry and trauma. Amen. You're exactly right. Worry and trauma. Good. Stress. Yeah, that just that elevated sense the the blood pressure is up and it's difficult self-centeredness absolutely that's a strange form of lack of sobriety right because you can be in your right mind and still be so self-centered that everything is skewed it doesn't take much to get there thank you 
procrastination. Yeah, because it puts you in a place where you can't respond to the right thing, right? The tyranny of the urgent takes over. That tyranny is a terrible ruler and it doesn't let you to be sober-minded. Anything else? Irritability. Irritability? Oh man, absolutely. You know, I, I, a little while ago I was digging through some sermon archives from some uh, brothers in Christ who spoke in the, the previous century. Remember that one just 24 years ago? And um, I was surprised at the number of sermons that were about irritability. And, and I thought, I'm praying for their marriages. I'm just kidding. I thought, I thought isn't that interesting? that irritability is such a common thing and it distracts us from the things that really matter. It's a form of a lack of sober mind. A, anger can be an addiction. It's pretty wild. Yeah. There's more and more and we can say them. Yeah. We'll, pain. Oh man. Pain. Hugely so. Um, I was talking with a friend this week and we talked about how pain is like a vampire. It just sucks the life out of you and it can take away your ability to be sober minded and just address life. I have friends with chronic pain, and I, I pray for them often. A few years ago, I, I hurt my back, and for about six months, you know, some days I could hardly think straight, and I just thought, Lord, you're so merciful because this is such a short thing that I'm going to deal with, and I, and I have friends who just deal with it in ways that I can't even imagine, and then I see them somehow be able to regain that sober mind in the midst of the pain, and it blows me away about God's goodness. So here's the thing. Uh, sober-mindedness goes away when we move to an elevated state or a depressed state of existence, okay? So an elevated state, that's where that anxiety is running high. That's where life is difficult and, and it's overwhelming. And you can, have you ever had that moment where you can feel your heart and your ears? Gajung, gajung, gajung. And you can hardly think straight in that moment and you don't know what to do. But then also we lose our sober-mindedness when life becomes so heavy and oppressive that it weighs us down. And literally what's happening is that the, the neurons in your brain, the nerves that make everything work, they're shutting down and they're less active. It's like your, your brain is misfiring. If you've ever driven a car where one or more of the cylinders are misfiring and, and you just can't get going or there's no compression in that engine and you're just sort of limping along and not able to get it done. In both of these states, we lack a sober mind. And, and you know what's wild is that our mind wants to find that place in the middle where it feels okay, even though it's not sober. And so we pursue little hopes that either bring us down or pick us up, right? We want things that are excitatory, and, and we want things um, that are um, kind of bringing us back into that state of regulation. And so we seek help from the outside. And so often we seek help from things on the outside that aren't really helpful, did you know marijuana is a great hope for many people? I bet you knew that. But for some people, marijuana, have you ever met this? Marijuana helps my anxiety. It just brings me down. A marijuana helps my depression. It just brings me up. And I'm just like, I, I, uh, agree to disagree. I, I mean, it's kind of helping you, but it's not, right? You know, like your, your vape, you're, you're saying it's helping you, but I, I'm watching you and I don't, I don't think it's really helping you. I think it's like a life preserver and you're not drowning in the ocean, but you need the Coast Guard to pick you up because you're stuck. You need a greater hope than this because it's, it's got you stuck in this place. And the same thing is true of your, your favorite TV shows and, and that wonderful button on Amazon, buy it now. Man, retail therapy, it's such a real thing. You're having a problem, life is difficult, and you find this thing on Amazon, and the description and the reviews all say that it's going to fix your world. And you click that button, hope has a name then, UPS. 
bring me my package, man. Where is it? You check on it on your phone? You looking for, when is the arrival date? Has it gotten into the post box yet? Oh, it's Sunday. It's just sitting there. I can't even get it. Talk about addiction, right? See, we all have this ability to be addicted to these little things. And it's because inside we have these moments where we're not sober-minded, but we want to be. And instead of grabbing onto the one thing that can bring us to the place of being ultimately sober-minded, that one thing being Jesus, by the way, we grab onto these other things. Lord, would you lead us to disappointment in these littler hopes? Would you help us to see the end of them so that we can grab onto greater hope? Would you free us from pursuing things that can't really bring us to a place of goodness inside, but we're willing to hold on to even though we know they're never good enough? Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns or my anxious ways. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting life. You know, when I was younger, I thought that offensive way was gross sin. Take the gross sin away from me, God. I mean great sin. I don't mean disgusting sin. I mean abundant sin. And now I've realized that this way that is destructive that I'm asking God to pull out of me is often much simpler than I know and closer to home than I realize. It's not the big thing that's happening out there. It's these little ways that I turn to small things to save me instead of my great Savior to hold on to me. Have you ever had that moment? You know what I love, though, is right up on the way into this, the psalmist reminds himself, you are the God who created the highest mountains. You're there. You're the God who created the lowest valleys. You're there. Even darkness is not dark to you. If I flee or fall into the deepest hell itself, you are there. You know, this month, if you're reading Oswald Chambers, one of the things that he said is that this is not actually about real mountains or valleys or actual hell. It's about what goes on in here. When you're in the actual hell in here, God is there. When you're experiencing the deepest darkness, God is there. When you're experiencing the greatest high, which can be drunk-making, God is there. I don't mean the... You know what I mean. Those good emotional moments in life. Pardon me. God is there. And He is still our hope. Next, setting your hope on Jesus requires intentional, spirit-empowered surrender. It requires intentional, spirit-powered surrender. It requires it because of this moment right here, because this is going to get in the way of you knowing hope. There are these desires of your former ignorance. Right after talking about getting this hope, Peter says, and have obedience like little children. Do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. I love the obedience of little children. You know, when they're young enough that mom and dad are their world. Have you ever seen that little girl in the kitchen with mom or little boy and mom is doing the baking and what is that kid doing? The baking. Obeying mom's example. Let me scoop it, mom. I want to help you. How much baked in soda? You know, like there's that moment where they're just there and there's this instant obedience and all they want to do is please mom and dad. That look of pleasure from mom and dad just lights them up inside. You remember that? That's the kind of faith that God wants us to have where we're watching what he is doing and we want to be right there with him. And God, how much love do I apply in this situation? How much forgiveness is needed? What are you asking me to give of myself in this moment that you've already given me so much of that I can never run out of it? There's that childlike obedience and there's this comparison to the desires of your former, former ignorance. Did you have desires of your former ignorance? 
Man, I did. I had all sorts of ignorant desires. Before Christ, I was actually an evangelist for marijuana for about 18 months. I was the greatest thing on God's green earth. He made that for us. It's good. I would tell everybody, you having a hard day? Man, you need a joint. You having a great day? Man, you need a joint. Let me tell you how good this stuff is, right? Like, I was very confused. I had a significantly broken and foolish desire. And after I came to Christ, God was like, that is a foolish desire. I had to not pay attention to it any longer. I did not be conformed to it any longer. It was not the thing that was going to save me anymore. Jesus was going to save me. I had to be conformed in a new way. Now, sometimes that desire feels easy, but the reality is that this is what most of that desire looks like. That's a sumo wrestler, in case you didn't know. Sumo wrestlers are typically pretty big dudes, right? And they're kind of immovable forces, and, and they're difficult and challenging. And some days, we think that this is what's going on inside of us. There is the great desire, but there is me, and I can take it on. Have you ever had that moment spiritually where you're like, I got this, Jesus. Hold my beer, Jesus. I'm going to take care of this right now. I, I can do this for you, Lord. Let me show you how great I am. The reality, though, is that it's actually like this. <laughs> I'm the one on the right. <laughs> you probably are, too. Those former desires can be really great things. And if you're in recovery, like many of us are in this room, you know the power of the sumo wrestler grabbing a hold of you. You know what it's like when he's sitting on you, when he's throwing you around the ring and you feel helpless. The reality is that spiritually we're all helpless and we need someone else to fight the battle for us. You know what's amazing? Is he did. It says that Jesus defeated the power of sin and death. It says that he disarmed the spiritual enemies that are facing you. He put them to shame publicly. It says that he nailed the charges against you to the cross so that they're not charges against you any longer. You don't have to let sin reign in your life because Jesus is reigning in your life. You're not under sin's power anymore if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're under Jesus' power. This is why Paul is so abundantly clear over and over again. It's the spirit of the resurrection that is living in you. It's the power of God that is towards you. Take a breath. God's power is resting in your life right now. It's power to overcome. It's power to abide in Christ. It's power to defeat those former desires, the lusts of your flesh, the ways of ignorance. The solution is spirit-empowered surrender. Paul says this in Galatians, I say then walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's what it takes. Walking by the Spirit. Walking according to the Spirit's will. Walking according to the Spirit's power. How do we find that out? We find it out in the written Word of God. Have your Bibles with you, physically or digitally. That's the Word of life to you, man. That's, that's God's note to you. It's His basic instructions before leaving earth. It's how He wants you to live. The truth of life is in there for you. But it's not just supposed to be in there. It's supposed to be in here and in here. It needs to go from being the written word to the word lived out. It needs to go from being the logos of God to the rhema of God powerfully moving in you, spoken in your life and lived into your life through the power of the Spirit in you. Amen? The Spirit can work this out. You cannot work this out on your own.
And then Peter says this, therefore, be, therefore with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Wait a minute. I keep doing this to myself, guys. Uh, surrendering to Jesus connects you to the reality of ultimate hope. Ultimate hope. The greatest hopes, right? Setting your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know our issue? Is that we're not willing to have greater hopes. Bigger hopes. We want hope for right now. We want the solution for the problem today. And what's amazing is we live in a time where there's so many solutions. Life is pretty easy for us in America. I don't know if you know that. I know that it's hard many days for a lot of us, but gosh, it's so comfortable. You know, the, the other day, um, the heat wasn't working right, and so we had to go to sleep when it was 62 in our bedroom. It was so rough. <laughs> so rough. So hard, right? Uh, our... We have these little issues, and they, they feel like big issues, but the reality is, is that we're incredibly spoiled with how easy life is. And so we forget that we need an ultimate hope, a greater hope. See, the problem is all of these little things that sustain us, they're going to run out. They're going to run out. You know, as a pastor, I've, I've sat with people who are in deep despair as they're dying. I've sat with people who are hard-hearted and angry but unwilling to call out to Jesus. And I've sat with people who realize that all of the little hopes of life ultimately haven't really panned out, but there's one hope that has, and his name is Jesus. They're in a situation that should be defined as hopeless, the dead end of life, death itself. But instead, they say things like this, and this death is just a doorway into my everlasting life. I'm about to experience the greatest transformation that I have ever hoped for. That's my translation into glory. I'm about to breathe my last here and have my first there. And they have this great and ultimate hope, the hope of Jesus. See, this life, this, this thing that we're living right now, it's not made to last forever. It's temporary, but there's a greater life coming. And each of us are going to experience that at the revelation of Jesus. A good chance for most of us, it's going to be when we close our eyes for the last time here and open them in glory. For some of us, there's a chance that it might be when Jesus comes back to receive his own unto him before the last days begin on this earth for real right? But there's this revelation of Jesus that is coming. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Don't put your hope in temporary hopes. Let go of them. They're lesser hopes. Take hope of Take hold of greater hope. Take hold of ultimate hope. Take hold of Jesus. You were made for hope. And that hope has a name. His name is Jesus. So I want to ask you today, what small hopes are you holding on to? What are the things that you're setting yourself on, your hope on, that you think are holding life together? What are the things that you hope are making the day better? You can't find it in a glass. It's not on TV. It's not over the phone. It's not on the internet. The only hope you ultimately need is Jesus. And so he's asking you today to surrender these little hopes, these lesser desires, so that he can give you the greater desire. It says 
in the Psalms that those who trust in the Lord, that he gives them the desires of their hearts. It's kind of a double entendre because I learned that when I trusted in the Lord, he gave me new desires in my heart and he fulfilled those desires and they were greater than any other desire that I could ever hope for. And he'll do the same thing in you if you'll let him. Let's pray. And Father, we have this complete work in Jesus. He died on the cross for us. He rose from the dead and he offers us everlasting life. And we have this ongoing work in Jesus where he's changing us and transforming us and empowering us. Father, each of us knows hope, big hope and little hope. And each of us knows despair, big despair and great despair. Father, we want to surrender these little hopes and great hopes that are not of you. We want to surrender our despairs, no matter how great or how small, because we want you. And so we yield our hope to you, Father, and we yield our desire to you. We ask that you would form in us greater desires, and we ask that you would lead us to the greatest hope, whose name is Jesus. We love him, and we want more of him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing uh, our last song together for